And that's what we celebrate this week, Father, that you loved us enough to send your Son to teach us about who you are, what you are like, what your love is like, Father. And yet he came to die because he loved us so much so that he could make a way for us to be with you. And so, God, I just pray that you'd help us to celebrate that today and this week, God. And so we pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, welcome to Risen Life Church. Those of you that may be new, we're glad to have you this morning. And those that are online to, to celebrate Palm Sunday. You know, I was thinking back, um, probably the most depressing Palm Sunday I ever had was during COVID, and uh, we couldn't worship together, and so we, we as a family grabbed some palm leaves and we marched around the block, and I'm pretty sure everyone thought we were crazy, but it made for, made for a good memory, but it's great to gather with you all to worship our God this morning. And so today we are, we are celebrating Jesus' entry into Jerusalem here recorded for us in Matthew or Luke 19. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke 19, we'll start in verse 28, <clears throat> and we're going to go all the way through uh, chapter 21 this morning. And so in Luke 28, it records that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem where he will begin the final week of his life. Right? This is Holy Week. This is what we're celebrating this week that we remember all that he did this week to accomplish our salvation. And it's a lot of things, right? And if you remember back, Luke 9, 51, Jesus has long ago set his face towards Jerusalem that he would go up and die for us. This is his whole purpose. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in Luke 19, 29 through 35, it then records for us, as Jesus tells his disciples to go out and they will find a donkey that is tied up that no one has ever ridden to, if the owners question him, to say, oh, the Lord needs it and they will give it to him and the disciples go and do just what Jesus said. <coughs> and Luke goes on to describe the familiar scene to us. This is Jesus riding in town on this donkey. The, the disciples put their cloaks on the donkey, and then others begin to spread their cloaks on the ground as he begins to ride this animal into Jerusalem. And some of the gospel writers, they, it recalled for them what Zechariah had said in Zechariah 9, 9. It said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey. And here he is, he's coming. You might think of Haggai chapter 2 verse 9 that foretold that the, the glory of this second temple would be greater than the first and that's because Jesus is going to come into it. He's going to teach in the temple. He's going to make a sacrifice in the grounds that surround it. And a large crowd is gathering as Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. In fact, in John, John tells us in John chapter 12, verse 12, that <clears throat> others had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, and so that they then rushed out of the city and began waving the palm branches like we saw the kids doing this morning. And the crowds were coming because of Jesus' miracles, the things he had done, the things that he had 
taught. They were rejoicing and praising God for this man that they had come to know. Luke 19.38, it records what they say. It said they're saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You might think all the way back to the beginning of the book of Luke, where in Luke 2.14, they're saying just what the angels said there. Glory to God in the highest and peace among the earth, among those whom he is pleased. Right? This, this is... God's son that has come. He was once a baby and now he's a a man accomplished in his ministry and everyone is excited about him. He's bringing us peace with God. Matthew records in his gospel other people as he was riding in town singing and saying just what we were. Hosanna to the son of David means God save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The whole city is stirred up. And well, they should be, right? This is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Ever since Genesis 3.15, the Bible records how we've been waiting for the, the seed of the woman that would come and save us. Of course, the Pharisees are not happy. Luke 19, 39 and 40 talks about how they say, Jesus, can you calm your disciples down? <laughs> and he says, no. For even if they were silent, the very stones would cry out to praise this son of God. Right? It, it's right for us to praise God as his people. In this Holy Week, it's right for us to remember and worship Him. This is the fulfillment of God's promises. We were created to be worshipers. This is the goal of our life. That's why we always say a risen life is a life of worship. We want to worship Jesus for who He is. So how are you going to celebrate Him this week? Sometimes this week kind of comes as a shock to our schedule, right? Like, oh no, it's Easter. If you've been doing this Lent fast, you know, it's been, a good, it's been a good season. It prepares you for this. It makes you think about Jesus. I'm excited to worship him this week because I was working at that. So how are you going to worship him this week? I challenge you this week, maybe read one of the Gospels. Read the Gospel of Mark. You can read it in four, four days, 15 minutes a day. You can read it before Friday to remember what Jesus has done for you. Now, here's the interesting thing with Luke's gospel. All is not well here in this picture. Okay? Luke alone records for us Jesus' reaction to this parade as they're heading into Jerusalem. Check this out. In the midst of this rally and celebration over who Jesus is, as he's taking the town by storm, it says, Jesus is weeping. Because he knows that the people are missing the point of his coming. Look at what he says here. Luke chapter 19 verses uh, 41 through 44. It says, And when they drew near, they saw the city, and Jesus wept over it, saying, Would you, even you, Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you 
and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, the people were totally missing why Jesus had come to Jerusalem. In fact, their hard hearts would drive them far from him. Even within a week, he would be castigated as an evil man and killed. And they would pay the price in 70 AD when the Romans came in and wiped out Jerusalem. See, there was this expectation that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. We've talked about this. Luke 19, 11. The people believed Jesus would soon be the king that would establish the kingdom of David and throw off the, the Roman oppressors. In fact, they tried to make him king in, in John's gospel. Jesus told us, look, the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed. He'd set his face to go to Jerusalem not to be king, but to be the one who would die for the sins of the world and settle our sin debt against God. And the people didn't know what he was doing. And the salvation and peace with God that it would bring. They wanted political transformation. But Jesus came to transform hearts and bring peace with God. He came to bring real life transformation to those who would follow him. Listen, don't miss Jesus this morning. Don't miss Jesus in this week as we celebrate him. These are the greatest events of human history, and Luke records for us, we might miss it. <laughs> but God came to us as a man to die for our sins, to settle our sin debt against God so that we could have peace with him died on the cross the death that we deserved, and yet God was happy to vindicate him, raise him from the grave so that we know that his words are true and that we can follow him to true life, peace and access to God if we make him Lord. But it's so easy to make following Jesus about politics, self-help, <laughs> pleasant emotions, don't let your thoughts about what Jesus should be, what the church should be like, how Christians should act to keep you from finding salvation in God. He says we can miss it. It's easy to let past hurt, the things of life, our expectations cause us to miss God's heart for saving us. You know, last year about this time I was in um, Kentucky for a pastor's conference of about 12,000 other pastors, okay? It's a big conference. And it's meant to be a time of refreshment, right? A time of fellowship, a time of worship to enliven our hearts. But you know what people did? A lot of them missed it. They made it about politics, what's being said on Twitter, what the preachers were saying. They missed what God had for them. And Jesus says to us, don't miss it this morning. Don't miss me. Don't miss what I'm doing in Jerusalem to save you. God's offer to us this morning and each and every day is that you can find life in me. Don't miss it. Seek him while he may be found. The time is now. Here it is. Don't miss it. 
If you don't know him yet, you can make him Lord even this morning. And maybe if you've wandered from him, you can say, I want to follow you again, Jesus. That's what he's asking for us. But as we've seen and as he's taught, he won't offer salvation forever. In fact, one day the door is shutting and he will come again with a sword. And even these people within a week's time will turn their backs on Jesus. And here's what we begin to see in Luke chapter 20 is that then Jesus then begins to get challenged as he comes into the city. In the early part of Luke 20, Jesus compares Jerusalem to a vineyard that God has planted. Jesus is picking up on an old image from Isaiah where in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, the prophet talks about how the Lord had planted a special vineyard in a special place and he had cultivated it and he expected it to give good fruit but when he came all it was was wickedness he says this is you Jerusalem and the parable Jesus tells in Luke 29 through 18 is not much different he says a vineyard owner planted a vineyard and then he went away and when it came time to harvest the grapes he sends a servant to get his share of the the product and what does he find but the, the workers in the vineyard cast him out. <laughs> and so he sends servant after servant saying, hey, can we just get our share of the grapes that I've let you work the field? And they cast out servant after servant. Some they beat. And eventually the owner says, you know what I'll do? I'll send my son because they'll listen to him. And so he sends his son and his son, when the servants see the son, they say, now's our time to take the vineyard. If we kill this son, the vineyard is ours and so is all the wine. And Jesus says, this is exactly what you're doing to me. You're rejecting the very son of God so that you could take God's things for your own. And we often want all the good things God has to offer, but we don't want him. We want to be our own gods, run the world our own way. Where have you tried to take the vineyard from God? He says, come back to me. Jesus won't let this happen as we see. In fact, Luke 19, back in Luke 19, 45, it says when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the first thing he does is he clears the temple of all the money changers. He's retaking the vineyard. <laughs> see, they had taken the court of the Gentiles of the temple where all the nations were supposed to be able to come and pray with God, and they made it a place where they sell animal sacrifices at a high place. If you brought your own, they'd say, it's not good enough, you've got to buy one of ours. And Jesus says, this isn't right. I'm making this a court of prayer again for all the nations. And so it's no surprise that in Luke 19.47 it says, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to destroy him. But they could not find anything to do against him because the people loved him. And so they begin to challenge him in specific ways. So here's what he does. Jesus is first challenged on his authority. Luke 20 verse 1 tells us that while Jesus was teaching in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came up to him and they said, Jesus, tell us by what authority do you do these things or or who is it that gave you this authority? <laughs> and they know the answer, right? They've seen him teach before. In fact, you can think back 
when they did this, when they healed the, the paralytic that they dropped through the roof and he forgives his sins. They say, who can do that? Man can't forgive sins. On what authority do you do this? Back in Luke 11 where he casts out a demon and the people accuse him of doing it by the power of Satan. Because they know if he's God, they've got to follow him. So all the miracles of Jesus have been showing us that he is indeed who he claimed to be, the very Son of God with God's authority. The religious leaders know this, and yet they reject it. want to find reason to catch him and destroy him. This is the heart of man. This is our heart. We want to reject the things we don't understand or don't agree with and go our own way. And Jesus answers their questioning, Luke 20, verse 3. It says, I will ask you a question. Now tell me, was it the baptism of John? Was it from heaven or from man? (laughs) And they say, I don't know. Because they know if they say it's from heaven, then he'll say, well, then why didn't you participate? But if they know if he says it's from man, that they would be mad because they believe, the people would be mad because they believe John to be a prophet. So Jesus challenge, challenges them to remind us of our own hardness of heart that can blind us to the truth. The religious leaders knew the answer, but they didn't want to believe, and so Jesus didn't take it further. This is really the question of life. Who is Jesus, right? If he's God's son, then he has all authority, and he, he, we owe him our lives. Who are we going to follow? Jesus calls us to have soft hearts and don't miss him, to take him at his word. He is faithful and true. He offers us life that is better than the life we try to find here. Later, I think Jesus actually leads us to the right answer, right? Luke 20, 41 through 44, where he says, How can the Christ, the Messiah, be David's son? This is a good question. He quotes from Psalm 110.1. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now the leaders knew that Psalm 110, this is a messianic prophecy. They looked to this to think about what the Messiah was going to be like. And yet David, in his poetry, Jesus is showing us a clue to his identity. He records that God the Father, the Lord, spoke to God the Son, David's Lord, to sit at his right hand. In other words, Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you should know that the coming of the Messiah has authority because God the Father has given it to him. And yet, they rejected him. And so, let's be careful not to reject Jesus because we don't like his answers. Let's take him at his word as the Son of God, who he claims to be. Now they try to challenge Jesus and get him in trouble with the authorities, right? They try to challenge him with the Romans about paying taxes to Caesar. They're growing desperate. In fact, it says so much so they're, they're sending spies to, to watch Jesus, to pretend to be sincere and followers and, and try to catch him in something. In fact, there's a movie a couple of years ago where a guy does this in real life. He goes and be, tries to be a sincere follower of Jesus as a trick. And that's what they're doing, right? So they come up with this new plot to get him in trouble with the Romans. So they ask him, Luke 20, 22, 
Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar? This is a good question. Jesus' answer is this. Look at verse 24. Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They say Caesar's. He said to them, then, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they didn't know what to say. (laughs) You know, it's tax season, (laughs) if you haven't remembered. In two weeks, we got to give to Caesar, right? You got, in fact, you got a little less than two weeks. If you haven't got started, I would suggest um, you get started. And Jesus here is teaching us to respect the institutions of authority that God has set up, right? And this time it was the Romans. Pay your portion to the government. And guess what? They did corrupt and awful things. And Jesus says, pay them. Christians, pay your taxes, even when you don't agree with the government. And as Tony Wolfe would tell you, and don't pay a penny more than you have to. (laughs) But more importantly, Jesus is teaching us to devote ourselves to God, that this is the higher calling on our life. Yeah, sure, give Caesar what he wants, but then you need to give everything to God. In fact, when you see the riches of salvation offered in Christ and all the blessings that are in God, you could care less about the 50 cents you give to Caesar. In fact, later in Luke 20, verses 45 uh, through chapter 21, Jesus teaches us about what it looks like to devote ourselves wholly to God as he talks about the scribes and the widow's offering. He says, hey, look at these guys. They, They strut around because they like people to admire them, they're full of pride, and they actually steal from widows to benefit themselves, and this is not good. And he tells them how he's seen the rich put in their gifts in the offering box, just contributing out of their abundance, and yet here comes a widow who puts in two coins, giving everything she had to God. And Jesus says that this widow is more righteous because she's given all that she has. Caesar demands your taxes, but Jesus says, you give me your life. (laughs) To render the things that are God's means to give him our lives, all that we are, all of our resources. Jesus wants us to be all in with him. Where is he calling you to be all in? What have you held back from him? He's saying, give it all to me. This is what it looks like to be wholly devoted to me. And our finances are the easiest place to start. In fact, I'd challenge you this year, if you haven't ever participated in the tithe, to give 10% of your income to God. Say, God, I give you this as an as a offering to show you that I want to give you my life. I want to defeat my soul that wants to run far from you, and I want to give you my life. Finally, we'll see that Jesus is questioned by the Sadducees about the resurrection. See, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and as the old joke goes, they were sad, you see. I know, that's a terrible dad joke. In fact, I was talking to Shelly about dad jokes this week, and she said, you better not say that. In fact, I had another one. I said, Shelly, you know what you call a fish with no eyes? She said, what? I said, a fish. Think about that one on your way home today. 
You know, I'm going to talk about dad jokes for a second. I read an article this week that said, dad jokes are good for your kids because it helps them learn to deal with embarrassment. (laughs) So dads, keep it up, right? Go online and look up some good dad jokes. But Jesus is challenged by the Sadducees here. And they come up with almost this crazy and lewd scenario talking about leveret marriage and the Mosaic law where if a man's brother dies and he has no children, then that man's brother is to take on his brother's wife and raise up kids so that he will have uh, uh, a heritage to go behind him. And so they say, what if this happens seven times, Jesus, seven brothers They all die. The wife gets passed from the one. Then whose wife is she in the resurrection? Right? As if they could trick Jesus and poke fun about things that are true. And look what Jesus says here in chapter 20, verse 34 through 38. He says this, if I can find it. There we go. He says, Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to obtain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Now, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for all live to him. What a great passage. Jesus teaches us a couple things about here, about heaven and marriage. First is that we will not be married in heaven. Some of you say hallelujah on the inside. Don't say it out loud. (laughs) And why not? Because we've got what marriage was picturing. It's what Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 says. The husband is to be like Christ to the wife who's to respond to his love as the bride. And we have exactly what that is. We will be married to Christ in heaven. There's, and furthermore, there's no more need to procreate and fill the earth with children. It says you'll be like the angels. We'll worship God. But more importantly, Jesus teaches us here that the resurrection is very, very real. Okay, I want you to see this. That even in the time of Moses, Jesus is telling us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all alive at that time with the Lord. (laughs) He says, God is the God of the living, not the dead. Amen. Those that are in relationship with God, what can live now is the promise and forevermore. We saw also this in Luke 9 in the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus, which shows us the saints are currently living in heaven with God. They're alive. This is part of what we celebrate in the Easter season. Jesus in his ministry will raise so many from the dead. I don't know if you remember this, but when Jesus is crucified on Friday, Matthew 27, you can think about this all week, says in verse 52 that some of the saints, when he died, came out of their grave and began to appear to many. (laughs) Next Sunday, we'll celebrate that Jesus rose from the grave. 
And we look forward to the day when all of the saints will raise from their graves. This is a great promise, church. God is the God of living, not of the dead. And the resurrection is a sure thing, Jesus is saying. This is why believers don't have to fear death. It's not the end of the story. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will live forever with Him. As Jesus journeys towards the cross this week, He warns His followers against the things that are yet to come. So let's look at this last section of Luke here in chapter 21. Verse 21, 5 through 38, as we get into the words of Jesus about the future, again, it's important to know that He's speaking about two distinct important events. One is the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in A.D. 70, and the other is the end of the world that is yet to come. Okay, and these things blend together. That's why it's hard for us to understand a bit. But what Jesus is saying here about the destruction of Jerusalem and what actually happened at that time in 70 AD is to picture for us God's coming judgment and what He will do at the end of time. In fact, Romans 15.4 talks about how the Old Testament was written for our instruction. It's a shadow of things to come. I think we can apply that even to the New Testament here. What happened in 70 AD is a shadow of the things to come, and that's what Jesus is telling us about. And Jesus is telling us so we aren't surprised when things begin to happen and that we can hope in His return. And if these things that feel a little bit uncomfortable have happened, then you can know the good things are going to happen too because Jesus said those would happen as well. So these are the words of Jesus. We want to hear them. They're gracious that He would tell us and they're meant to help us endure and persevere in faith to the end. So he tells us a couple things. First here is this, Luke 21, 5 through 8, the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. Jesus is with some followers. They're admiring the temple and its construction. And Jesus says this in verse 6, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And again, this happened in A.D. 70 when Titus marched in and raised Jerusalem to the ground. Okay, Go to Jerusalem today. The temple is not there. There's only part of the wall left. This has happened. goes on to say that some at that time, as that time is happening, will claim to be Christ Himself. Others will claim the end has come. There will be rumors of war. But Jesus says, look it, this isn't the end. It's not the end. Those things happened. This applies to what he says next. Look, he says, look, bad world events are going to occur before the end. Not sure the timing of these. They happened before the temple was destroyed, but surely have happened over the last 2,000 years as we get closer to Jesus' return. Luke 21.10, look what it says. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. Think of Ukraine and Russia right now. There'll be great earthquakes. We had some of those in Turkey and Syria. In various places, famine. Do you know that 50 million people today are dealing with famine? Pestilences. You can think of COVID to radiation spills to school shootings to whatever goes on in our world weekly that you hate. (laughs) 
And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. You know, there's an asteroid last week that was really near the earth that they were talking about. And stars that are aligning in interesting ways. These things have happened for 2,000 years, and again, Jesus was right. But the end is not yet, he said. 30 says, look, there'll be persecution of Christians. Luke 21, verse 12. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You can think of all the New Testament disciples that faced this before the temple was destroyed. Paul was uh, instigator of this. James beheaded. Stephen killed. All faced for Jesus' name before the temple was ever destroyed. And there have been so many more since then. Verse 13 says, This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate before how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to understand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you will be put to death. Think of all the martyrs through the centuries for Jesus. Even now, the most that have ever happened are being killed currently. You'll be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish, meaning you're going to make it to salvation. But your endurance you will gain, by your endurance you will gain your lives. Look, Jesus said it's going to be rough for Christians. It currently is in many parts of the world. It has been. It's increasingly hostile even in our own country and places, but Jesus says he will be with us. He will make you a witness to be ready for that, and ultimately, you will be saved. <laughs> but some of us will die for Jesus. I think it's coming, church. Revelation 6, 9 through 11, it talks about how the, the martyred saints are gathered around the throne of God even now saying, how long, Lord? How long until you pour out your judgment on those that killed us? Hastening the coming day. Jesus says in the midst of world events and persecution, endurance and perseverance and faith will win the day. He says, hang on. Keep the faith. Keep believing in Jesus. Keep doing the things of faith so that you will have faith. Keep going to church, gathering with the saints, reading God's Word, praying to Him, studying the truth, says keep doing it, keep persevering, you will get there. Jesus also reiterates here that Jerusalem will be destroyed again, and this time I think he's foreshadowing what will come on the earth, Luke twenty-one twenty. but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that its dis desolation comes near. Again, that happened in 70 AD, but I think it's looking forward to what will happen and he says, when you see that, you better run for shelter because it's coming. These will be days of vengeance and agony and God will fulfill everything that he has said. Look what he says here about this. Luke 21, verse 23. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against his people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive in all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until their time is complete. 
and most all of this has happened in spades. In fact, Josephus says of the fall of Jerusalem, over one million men, women, and children were killed when the Romans came in there. And after all this, Jesus says, then I'll come back. Look at what he says in verse 21, or Luke uh, chapter 21, verse 25, and Band, you can come on up. So if you want to know what's next, listen to what Jesus has to say right here. He says, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People have been a little bit upset by the oceans lately. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. This is the most anxiety-ridden generation of the entire world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, you better straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Basically, the earth and the heavens are going to get rocked, and then Jesus is coming. Like Luke 21, 29, Jesus says that just when the, you see the leaves popping out on the trees and you know that summer's near, and can we have some leaves, Jesus, please? We're ready for summer. You know that the kingdom of God will be near when you see these things happen. And then he says that generation will not pass away before they do. I think he's talking there about the generation in AD 70, but he's also talking about those of us that will be alive when these things begin to happen. In verse 33, he says, look at heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He's saying to us, this stuff will happen, most has happened, so will the rest. I will be absolutely true and you can bank on it that your salvation will come. In fact, look, here's what he tells us, last thing is to be ready. Luke 21, 34 through 36 he says, but watch, your, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life that this day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon everyone who dwells on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. It says Jesus went on teaching in the temple for the rest of the week. <laughs> Jesus is telling us as God's people, let's be ready, right? Don't let the cares of life carry you away from Jesus. Don't try to push Jesus out of the way by distracting yourself of all the, all the distractions that are there. Don't be so caught up in addiction that you miss who Jesus is. It says don't miss it. Be ready. Do the things of the people of God. And you go, but Jesus, they're hard. It's hard to have faith in a day like this. He says, then you pray for strength. Because <laughs> I can give you strength. And I'll see you through to the end. So we're going to invite up our prayer team this morning. And uh, the staff as they want to pray. And let me just invite you. This prayer team here, you know, lots of times we, we say, oh, I got bad things going on in my life. I need, I need to pray with somebody. Please do that. 
But also know this prayer team is just to pray with you to say, you know what, God, I want to see these great things happen in my life. They can pray for your, God's blessing in your life. And so this morning, as we're looking to be ready for Jesus to return, let's take a minute and pray. Who needs strength this morning to make it? <laughs> Who needs strength to keep faith, right? I do. Let's pray that God would give us strength to see, see us through to the end to keep the faith. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us. God, we celebrate this week what your Son has come to do to make a way for peace with you because of your love. God, thank you for saving us. Lord, if there are those here that do not know you this morning, I pray that you move in their heart to follow you for the first time. Just by saying, Jesus... Please forgive me for my sins. Please come and be my Lord. I want to follow you. I want to be ready. Lord, also for many of us, we need strength, God. It's a tough day to be a Christian, Lord. Can you give us more faith? Can you strengthen us to be ready? Help us to do the things of faith, God. Lord, I pray you touch us. Help us to follow you in deeper ways. And finally, Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and truth this week. We confess that your son is, is your son. He is Lord. And we worship him. He is the king of all kings. There is no other name by which we can be saved except that of Jesus. Father, thank you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.